We're in uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And it might, may or may not be on the screen. We'll see. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Just do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some, wa- draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he uh, revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God. Um, Stay standing. Brian's going to pray for us. Thank you, Caleb. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for Jesus that he's the kind of Savior and Master and Lord that turns water to wine. And I pray this morning as we think about this first sign that Jesus, you did when you were here on the earth, that the significance and the impact of that first sign that caused the disciples to believe would create belief in us, where there is lack of wine in our lives where there's lack of belief, joy, and celebration. Father, I ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be in the room this morning, that we would take the water pots that we have, we would give them over to you, and you would do the kind of miracle that makes water turn to wine. I pray the wine would flow this morning, that the metaphoric joy that you bring, the wine of your joy, would fill our hearts, fill this place, that we would not be a dead church, dead Christian, but you would awaken us, God. Awaken celebration within us. Awaken joy where there has been sorrow. Awaken hope where there has been despair. Bring the wine, God. Jesus, pour out this wine on us, that we may drink it, that we may sip the cup, and that we might rejoice with kingdom joy. So Father, now I pray for your joy to be infused into us right now. Thank you for the joyful singing that we've done this morning. And I pray now that as we study scripture together, that as we hear this prophetic voice from the prophet, the apostle John, that we would receive your word. In Jesus' name, we said with joyful exuberance this morning, That's your line. You can talk back to me in church and all throughout, and you can have a seat. So I know you know how to say amen. So if something hits you this morning, say. Or you can say well or or whatever you want to say. But come on, don't leave me up here by myself um, because I'm expecting great joy in the house today. How many think Christianity should be joyful? How many think it's a bad witness to be a non-joyful Christian? But how many of you know that the source of joy is in God? And so this morning we're asking that in God we would find 
joy. And, and, and some of you may be here this morning and say, I really don't have the joy. And I would say, well, my prayer for you as you exit this building this morning, you would have taken a sip from the cup of the wine that Jesus gives and that your heart would be full. How many want that? Right? Okay. Commit to want that. And if you don't have it, Jesus is the winemaker. And we're going to talk a lot about the winemaker, the joy bringer, the festival giver, Jesus the Christ. So I hope you're ready for me this morning um, because I did not even have that many cups of coffee, but I am full of energy and joy. John chapter 2, Caleb read for us this morning. Uh, even if you did not grow up in church, how many of you did not grow up in church, just by the way? Okay, so for those of you who did not grow up in church, even you probably are familiar with John chapter 2, even if you're not a Bible scholar, because this uh, story has become what maybe we would call an urban legend. Uh, Jesus turns water to wine. Uh, you know, it's sort of a, uh, a cultural uh, idiom that we use. Uh, when we say someone took something bad and made it good, we would say, man, they, they, they turned water to wine. You know, a lot of college frat boys like this because Jesus made more alcohol at a party. But it's a well-known story, but in the, the context in which this happens, this was actually a relatively private miracle. There weren't a lot of people who knew about this miracle. Rather, it was just uh, the servants, the bus boys, and a handful of Jesus' disciples, and, and no one else in the group in, in the wedding there at Cana of Galilee even knew where the wine came from. They just knew it was good. But they didn't know where it came from. And, and it's surprising because John tells us that this relatively non-flashy miracle, look down at our text in verse 11. He said, what Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was, notice with me, what? The, what? First sign through which Jesus revealed his glory. So may, apparently turning water to wine is the way that Jesus shows up in glory. <laughs> wow. And it says, in that, his disciples believed in him. And, and so Jesus basically shows us something tremendous that we're going to try to unpack this morning together, and I pray that the wine of joy would flow. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the sign of better wine. So I just turn around, touch somebody, uh, we're going to go Pentecostal style, right? Just say, hey, the better wine is coming. The better wine is coming. The better wine is coming. So, we're, uh, we're going to look at this. Some of you guys got really excited talking about wine in church. Come on. <laughs> we're uh, we're going to look at this passage through a, a couple of lenses, three primary lenses. We're going to look at it through the cultural lens, uh, through a theological lens, and, uh, and then through a personal lens. And so, those are the ways that we want to sort of unpack this text this very first sign that Jesus performed in his three years of ministry that revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. First, the cultural lens. So Jesus shows up to a wedding in this place, a little community called Cana, there in the Galilee region. And uh, for those of you who aren't aware of this, um, a Jewish wedding is very different than our 21st century Western version of a wedding. You know, not a 20-minute little service with maybe some dinner and dancing afterwards uh, and, and pretty much three hours at max if you dance real hard uh, and then you go home. Uh, a Jewish wedding was, was likely 
a week-long event. At least it was a multi-day event. And the, the host, the parents of the bride who put on the wedding, had some serious social obligations. There was a reciprocal obligation, a reciprocal hospitality. That would mean this. Let's just say, in an imaginary world, we'll take Zach and Kendra here. Let's say Zach and Kendra, last month, uh, their, their oldest boy, um, he got married. Wow. Right? And they invited me to their week-long party to celebrate their eldest boy's wedding. And I ate plenty of food and had plenty to drink at their wedding for their son. And then it's my turn. My daughter's getting married. Wow. And my wife and I put on a week-long party, festival, wedding for her. And Zach and Kendra come. They would expect that the same hospitality that they showed me at their son's wedding, I would show them at my daughter's wedding, if you would. And obviously, you would have to have a daughter for this to actually work, but you don't, so I'm just using your son for a simple analogy. Um, all that to say, the host had a reciprocal hospitality. That is, it would be a major crisis if you're throwing a wedding for your child, your daughter, and you run out of food or wine. You actually, in that day, could receive a fine. You could be sued money if you ran out of wine at the wedding. And plus, it's kind of a bad omen, right? Because in the Hebrew culture, wine was a symbol of joy. And, and the Bible talks a lot. We could do a whole theology of wine. We won't as much this morning. But there are a lot of passages that imply that wine is associated with joy. Um, and in a first century agrarian society, where people didn't really ever get to go on vacation, basically this was the closest you come to a full resort, going to a wedding for a week, just eating and drinking lavishly, hanging out, dancing, celebrating as the Jews would for that week at a wedding. And so to cut somebody's resort vacation short by running out of wine would be shame and disgrace, and you could be fined, as I said, uh, and it would just be a terrible thing uh, to happen. So that's the setup for the story. That's the culture in which we now have to step into in our mind and think that Jesus showed up with his disciples to a wedding where they had wine and they all had a good time until Mary approaches Jesus with an urgent social situation. Again, verse 3, they have no more wine. And again, wine being a symbol of joy in the Hebrew culture and also the Bible, Judges 9, verse 13, Isaiah 55, verse 1, Psalm 104, verse 15, the psalmist writes, wine that gladdens human hearts. So to run out of wine was an emergency, at least for that family and culturally. And it was the very first sign that Jesus does to say to the world or to those at Cana of Galilee or to his immediate disciples, glory is coming through me. Verse 11 reminds us of that this was the very first sign that Jesus brought. And you think, how, what an anticlimactic miracle. I mean, if I'm God and I, or I'm God's PR man, I'm saying, so when you show up to earth and you start your three years of ministry, cast out a demon, just do something bad, like just oh, actually a whole, a, a whole legion of demons. Do that. Your first, your first miracle, when you, when you introduce yourself to the world, just cast out a legion of demons. Or, or how about raising somebody from the dead? Let's do that one. 
That, that'll, make a, that'll make a big impact. Part of sea, walk on some water. Well, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus comes to a party and makes more wine so that the wedding's not lame. 120 gallons of wine so that the party doesn't end up being lame for this couple. But Jesus is actually setting a theological precedent. What's Jesus declaring about himself in this act as we read it now 2,000 years separated from its cultural context? Well, I think one of the message that we should gather from this is that Jesus is the Lord of the festival. Actually, we we find out as we read, uh, especially the prophet Isaiah, which I'm reading Isaiah right now, so I've been kind of in the middle of this kingdom stuff. In Isaiah chapter 25, we find that when the kingdom age is ushered in, one of the key elements of the kingdom age is going to be a feast. Actually, Isaiah says that we'll have the best meat and aged wine. The best of the meats and the finest of the wines will be at that feast table, Isaiah chapter 25, in the kingdom age. And so Jesus is essentially declaring, I am the the, the Lord of the festival. I am a God of joy and celebration. Come on. You didn't even, come on. That was a setup. Softball. Say what? Come on. Okay. Please, somebody. Jesus comes as Lord of the festival, the one who says, I bring celebration. I think one of the misnomers about Christianity is that a lot of people are plagued with spiritual seriousness. The thought that both Jesus and the Bible and spirituality is supposed to be serious business. Now, it's supposed to be reverent. We're supposed to, to, to treat things as sacred in the scriptures and worship, but there is a point, point a place of, of exuberant joy. Actually, the Bible talks a lot about the joy that Jesus had. It says that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above all of his fellows. So Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, listen, one of the first things I'm going to do is I'm going to show up to a feast, a celebration, a wedding, and I am going to demonstrate before all of you that I am the Lord of the festival, that I am a God of celebration and joy. He beckons us to joy. He invites us to the party, which is quite opposite of what we see in the Old Covenant. Jesus is doing something new. The Old Covenant, when Israel was being brought out of Egypt there in the Exodus. Carlos will be talking all about that on Monday nights. Um, Moses, called by God, actually turns water into blood, which is a symbol of judgment is coming on Egypt for the way that they've enslaved Israel for 430 years. But Jesus, the, the greater than Moses, the new Moses, in the new Exodus, in the new covenant, doesn't change water to blood, but he changes water to wine, which just ultimately says, this is kingdom joy. I bring kingdom joy to you. So, I mean, one of the things I just want to say to us as a church is um, stop being so serious all the time. Learn to celebrate. Like if you didn't party in high school because you were like me and you got saved at 17 and you decided to walk with Jesus, guess what happened to me? I became the most serious Christian. And I think there's a place for serious Christianity, absolutely. But Christianity isn't primarily a place for serious orthodox doctrine. Yes, we, we have serious orthodox doctrine, but Christianity is an invitation to a feast. So when you're inviting people to follow Jesus, you're saying, come to the joy giver. Come to the party with the rest of us. Come to the table. And so therefore, 
One of the things we need to learn as a church is to learn how to celebrate. To, to actually, to, to be good at throwing great parties. Not your old, you know, college parties. Those were lame parties. Drunken fests. I'm talking about a good, holy, sanctified, good time. Good people, good food, good drink, and some dancing, even if it looks bad. And I was caught on video a few times with some pretty bad moves, which I regret now, but hey, I was trying to teach you all something. <laughs> spirit fingers. I did a lot of spirit fingers. That's like, if you don't know how to dance, just do this, because it, it, it has enough flash to it and enough movement where people think you know what you're doing. Um, no? That's what I told myself. Um, anyway. But every, par every party, every celebration is a prophetic pointer of a future day. Every time that moment happens, when you're sitting around a table and the, the, the great food is at the table and the great drink and the great people are at the table and, and there's laughter and there's joy and there's conversation that's interesting and, and there's, there's music and there's dancing, there's all those elements and you, and you have that, that tinge in your heart that says, this is good. This is life. Life is flowing into us right now. That, that, that moment, if you could capture that moment, is pointing forward to another day where Jesus is going to come and he's going to get on the mic and Zephaniah chapter 2 says he's going to sing over us. I mean, you, you've been to some concerts and loved it, right? But you ain't been to nothing yet until Jesus grabs the mic, Zephaniah 2, and he begins to sing over us and he lifts the, the goblet of wine and the aged wine and the good meat and the joy and, 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 and ancients from all days and your family that you miss terribly that are gone, that will be in heaven, that will be reacquainted with everybody. And Jesus is singing over us, throwing a concert for us, and we're eating and drinking together. Every celebratory moment here when we sing happy birthday to Frank for the good thing that God has done, giving him another year of life. When we gather together to eat and drink at the table, that is all pointing us forward to say it's going to get even better than this. But learning to have a good time now is, is a good thing. I mean, God planned for his people a lot of parties throughout the year, more holidays than Americans have, and, and better parties where they would take entire weeks off. They'd go camping with their families. They would eat a lot. They would hang out a lot. They, they would enjoy themselves. But it's all pointing to this moment, Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. You're familiar with this, this foreshadowing of a kingdom feast. John, the prophet who wrote also the gospel of John, hears this heavenly voice, and this is what Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9 says that the heavenly voice declared. Hallelujah. By the way, just stop there. Hallelujah, you know what that means? Praise Yah. Hallel, Hallel, the Psalms of Hallel. As they would go up, the songs of praise, Hallel is praise. Yah is Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Hallelujah, he starts off this heavenly voice. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen and bright and clean was given to her to wear. This fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, listen to this, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now notice the Bible uses sensory metaphors to illustrate kingdom 
realities. Salvation is like wine. Christianity is like a feast. So again, Christianity is not serious business all the time. Although we have to take some things very, very seriously, we are a people who have a theology of joy, a theology of celebrate, a theology of oh yeah. Because the kingdom is full of the oh yeah. However you would say it, that's how I would say it. Yeah, buddy, yeah, boy. Whatever you might say. (laughs) It's good to have a good time in church, you know? Church should be fun. We've got to learn how to make church fun. Some of my kids don't always have fun at church when they have to listen to me preach real long and stuff. But um, I I think we're, we're wanting to put our heads together to continue to not be irreverent, but to say, what, what would it look like for a group of people to get together and celebrate? You know, um, there was a couple of uh, weeks ago on our Friday night song and prayer, we were dealing with some very serious subjects, praying for the Emerson family, uh, but we just got into this place where we just felt like um, we were supposed to shout for joy, and, and I'll tell you, we haven't had a Friday night prayer meeting in a long time, right, y'all who were there? Who were there for that Friday night throwdown? Okay, there was some dancing, there was some shouting, there was some singing, and, and, and though we were in, praying for, in a place of suffering, we were also in a place of exuberant joy. It was this interesting, uh, iconoclastic set of emotions where we, are, we, we sorrow and yet we're full of joy because we realize that, that the things that are happening here aren't permanent and that the good that happens here is a reflection of, of what is coming and, and the difficult things that are happening here are gonna be redeemed, y'all. Like things are gonna get better. It won't always be this way, it's going to get better and better and better. And so, so we had this moment, and, and just in that room celebrating, I thought, this is church. This is, this is the way that we do church. We're a people that enjoy God. We drink deeply. We taste and see that the Lord is good because salvation is wine and Christianity is a feast, and you're all invited to come in to this great place. Can you say amen? amen. All right. Well, let me put the clutch in here and speak to another side of the story. There's a lot we could unpack theologically here, but I do want to talk about this miracle happening for the reason that they ran out of wine. And uh, as we mentioned, uh, it's not a good thing to run out of wine at a wedding. It puts the host into a state of emergency. Um, But running out of wine actually represents every human experience. The wine runs out of it. Name your experience. Marriage, parenting, jobs, churches, relationships. Whatever was wine at first eventually runs out. And one of the difficulties with our generation is that we don't like it when the wine barrel gets low. And so we are a generation, myself included, of people who don't stick things out. When the wine barrel gets low, we're out. We quit. We'll change jobs. We'll change spouses. We'll change houses. We'll change neighborhoods. We'll change churches. We're always changing, ever changing. As, as the wine uh, that we were drinking of in this relationship, as the wine we were drinking of at this church or this uh, friendship or, or this job or, or name your thing, your experience that was once wine to you, as the barrel starts getting low, the reaction of this generation is to quit and move on. But here is the inherent problem with that kind of living. 
it wasn't until that wine went out that the better wine came. But most people never stick around long enough to taste the better wine. You've been drinking that old stuff that they offered the best they could at the wedding, but you haven't seen what Jesus could do when the wine runs out. Come on. Seriously. Come on. There are times in our lives where, where name, just naming an experience that you have been through where you've experienced the wine barrel getting low. And as you know, um, the story here concludes with better wine. Not just the same old wine. I mean better stuff because Jesus makes things better. I mean, notice what the MC, the master of the banquet says when he tasted the wine. I mean, this guy's on the hook. If this wedding party goes down, it's going to be his name. He was supposed to keep the party going. He was DJ. You know, he was, he, he was turning records and stuff. He was that guy. And, and so when he tastes this better wine, notice what he says. Everyone brings out the choice wine, verse 10, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now because Jesus makes things better. Not worse, and not the same, better. And we'll talk about what kingdom better is versus the better of this age, because they're different. Your version of better, maybe, in, in your mind, is different than the kingdom better, the, 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 the better wine that Jesus brings. But I wanted to bring this up, because uh, I think it's important at this season for Emmaus, um, and some of you guys are going to hear this wrong, so don't. Whatever, whatever's about to go off the rails, don't. Um, just trust that my heart is good, but I want to say something uh, a little bit difficult to us uh, in this generation. Um, I recently was given a book by Eric and Shannon Newby uh, called Staying is the New Going. And uh, it was written by a guy named Alan Briggs. And in the first chapter, he kind of comes out swinging a bit. And he talks about a, a pastor's conference that he had attended. And this uh, leader from Australia came in addressing this group of leaders. First line says this. No one is more transient than the American pastors, like rocks with no moss. They just don't stay anywhere very long. Statistically, the average pastor in America lasts four years at his church. And they say, statistically, the four years are the worst years. First four years in any new church, that's pastor profession talk, or any new job maybe, first four years are the worst. They say, actually, it doesn't start to really get sweet until about seven years. But most pastors don't stick around long enough to actually experience the better wine. Then he goes on to say this, and this is more towards all of us. If we were looking, now this is very chastening, if we were looking for the means to destroy the impact of the local church, that's something you often think about, I believe we'd place transients and disconnection high on the list. They're not spectacular, washing away our influence like a flood of scandal, they're more like a steady erosion. So then he begins to talk about the term that he uses is called what he calls faithful presence. Becoming a local in the, the community that you're called to be in. And, and then he goes on to say this about Jesus and his ministry, the way he revolutionized the world. Jesus became a local among humanity. He locked into people's lives, stories, and fears when he ministered to them. But our generation, we like to wander. We don't like commitment we're open to leaving whenever the wine runs out. You leave the job, you leave the city, you use the city, you use your job, you use your church, you use relationships, you use commitments, but you're never going to taste better wine like that. 
You have to wait till the bottom of the barrel, till the wine that you're first sipping runs out before you decide that better wine is coming. And if you keep leaving, keep quitting, running to another barrel, whenever the wine runs out, you're just not going to experience the miracle that Jesus wants to bring. And I would say that for our church community, I'm asking for many of us to rethink our commitment level to Jesus and to one another. Because you can't have one without the other. It's not, I'm committed to Jesus, but y'all, whatever. No, like it's Jesus and us. It's we, it's body, it's family. And, and so an uncommitted pastor is no good for you. An uncommitted community is no good for me or us or you. Because we've got to be in a place where we're ready to stick it out. You are going to see the bottom of the wine barrel. I promise you that. You stick around long enough, you will see the bottom of the wine barrel. And if you're inclined to bail at that point then we together will not be able to experience the miracle of revival. And so the calling is to rethink and, and re-ask ourselves, in my marriage, in, in my family, in my job, in, in the people whose lives God has placed me in the city I live in, in my neighborhood, am, am, I, am, I, am I a quitter? Am I trying to run? Am I always looking over the fence for the next wine barrel? Or, I'm, or am I committed to stay? I want to talk about better wine for just a second because there's kingdom better and then there's the better of this age and we can get them confused. So the better of this age is just more of what you already have. The better of this age is just a new wine barrel, but it's not different wine. Same wine, different barrel, different relationship, different job, different city, different house, different whatever, name your thing. And, and so to go from barrel to barrel to barrel every time it, it runs out is to just keep chasing the wine of this age. You're not going to taste anything different. Kingdom better is when the wine in your marriage, the wine in your job, the wine in your friendships, the wine in your church, the wine in, your, in, in the areas that you are living life expecting satisfaction, when it gets low and starts to run out, that's when kingdom better comes in. And kingdom better tastes different. It just tastes different. It's richer, it's new, it's sweeter, it's fuller, it's more abundant, it's unique. But again, the dirty little secret is you're never going to know kingdom better until you've come to the bottom of the barrel of this age and this life. And this time, rather than leaving, quitting, or choosing something else or someone new, you say to Jesus, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay with them. I'm going to stay with this. I'm going to stick this out. One of the first things I would say to you in, in, in your journey to better wine is number one, commit to stay. Commit to stay. Whatever it is, commit to stay. Now, I'm not saying you have to stay in everything all the time unless it's marriage. For the most part, you should stay. But even in the current situations that you find yourself in, the knee-jerk re reaction is to leave the gospel might be calling you to faithful presence. But the next key to better wine is to tell Jesus about it. 
Admit that the wine is gone. I'm not excited. I'm not joyful. I'm not interested. I'm not fulfilled in this. And I was listening to a pastor the other day. He was talking about, um, you know, 20 years ago when he was doing marriage counseling, people would come into his office and say, you know, he's beating me. or She cheated on me. He's abusing alcohol. Um, this is rough. And, and he would deal with marriages on, on those severe fronts. He said, today, people walk into his office and just simply say, I'm not happy. She doesn't fulfill me. I'm discontent. And he was just laughs in their face. Like, like when, when was happy part of this equation? Sure, you'll be happy sometimes, but, but nobody and nothing is going to make you happy 100%. So Jesus calls us to tell him about it. You know, and there, there is a place where we admit to ourselves, you know, the wine is gone. Um, this is not life anymore for me. It doesn't mean leave. It means tell Jesus about it. Admit the wine is gone. And then notice what Mary does. She, you know, she has this interaction with Jesus. It's very interesting. It seems disrespectful, right? He's like, Jesus, Son, Messiah, God, would you do a miracle right now? They're out of wine. And he says, woman, what, what do I have to do with you? What business of this is mine? My hour's not yet come. But I... I mean, I, Jesus was serious, and yet the word woman isn't like you think, like caveman, woman. The, the, word, the Greek word is gune. It's proper, but it's not disrespectful. I mean, if I call my wife woman, I'm in trouble. <laughs> woman, where's my meat? <laughs> not, that doesn't work. Um, but when Jesus says woman, it's the word, the Greek word is gune. It's more like madame or miss. It's, it's kind of like distant. It's not like mom. It's ma'am. What do I have to do with you? I mean, what business is this of mine? What concern is this of mine? In other words, you know, I know what you're trying to get me to do. You're trying to get me to, to like go Messiah big right now, and I'm not doing that. I know that there's a lot of scandal hanging over this relationship between you and I. Like, am I legitimately born or illegitimately born? I'm not solving that right now. I have an hour, and it's not right now. But then it's like Mary knows her son. She's like, to the, to the servants, just whatever he tells you, do it. In other words, I, just, I know he's going to do something. <laughs> he may not do what I want, mom, little Jewish mom, but hey, you know what, son, I know just whatever he tells you to do, do it. And, 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 and it's at that moment that when we admit the wine is gone, we then wait for instruction. So there's a point when you realize I'm at the bottom of the wine barrel in whatever scenario you find yourself in. The joy is not here as it once was. Wait for instructions. Whatever he tells you to do, verse 5, do that. It's okay to say, the wine is gone, Jesus. What do you want me to do? I'm committed to stay. But how do I find joy again? Where do I find the wine that I've lost? How does sweetness return to the situation I find myself in? I like what Jesus tells them. This is his instruction. He tells them, fill the jars with water, verse 7. And the next thing to do for the better wine is fill up with the best stuff you have. They couldn't make wine. They knew that. Only Jesus does that. We can't make wine. But you know what they could do? They could pick up these 20-gallon water, stone water pots. They could put them on a cart. They could go down to the well. And they could draw water. And they could fill it up. And they filled it up to the brim. 
They went big. They're like, hey, Jesus wants us to fill up the, the water pots. We're going to fill them up to the, to the brim. And I would just ask you, where the wine is gone, what can you do? What good can you bring into your life? What water can you fill your life with? The scriptures, good counsel, good people, good friendships, good podcasts, good music, good books, good times. Fill your life with the things that are life-giving to the best that you know how. And then you leave room for a miracle. All they could do is all they could do. And that was enough. Because Jesus has it from there. As long as you will simply say, I am going to fill myself with all the good I can. I can't make wine. I cannot produce joy. I cannot make my marriage better. There's there's some things I can do though. We can read a book. We can be nicer to each other. We can watch what we say. We can get a counselor. We can do good things. I can't make my relationship with my kids better. Like, I can't produce wine there, but I can do things to fill our lives and our relationship with things that are life-giving. I can, I, I can get some instructions. I can read the Bible. I can do things with my children that bring life to us. I can't, I can't make Emmaus better. I can't. I can't make wine here, y'all. I, I trust every week, I'm just gonna put the best stuff I can into me and hope that when I get up here, it turns into wine. And if it doesn't, then I'm like, Jesus, what happened? My only hope this morning is that that Jesus makes this wine for you. Your job, your relationships, whatever scenario you find yourself in, you just put the best stuff you can in you and trust that it'll be enough. But the last step is the one that takes the most faith because Jesus then tells them, verse 8, draw some out, and take it to the master of the banquet. So this next step is to give from the water that you have. Now that's crazy because, you know, like, you know that the wine has run out and you don't know how you're going to get the joy back or the impact back or the sweetness back. So you fill yourself with the best things you can and then you dare to serve that to somebody else. You know what you put in. You know it's just water. So I'll read my Bible in the morning and I might share that with my wife. That's the best I got. And I'm like, Jesus, make it wine. I'll study the scriptures, prepare a sermon to deliver to you. I put water in. I read commentaries. I study. I pray. I do my best. And then I deliver it to you. And if it isn't turned wine, I just have to trust Jesus for it. It's, it's a risk every time you are in a scenario where the wine is out and you say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to serve it to the people in my life. I'm going to share with them. I'm going to give to them out of those things which I put into my life. And somewhere between the, the going down into the well and filling up with water and serving it to the master of the banquet, a miracle happened. I don't know when it happened. Was it while it was still in the jar? Was it water when they served it and it turned wine when it touched the master of the banquet's lips? When, at some point, though, something changed about this water. And that's the part where we just have to say, all glory to God. Jesus does great things. He turns water into wine. So don't forget to leave room for a miracle in your life. I know a lot of us are very pragmatic people like, well, just give me the steps to bring wine back into my life. I'm saying, I can give you so many things. Do these things. Commit to stay. Tell Jesus the wine is out. Ask Jesus what to do. Put the best stuff you can in and then by faith, serve it. Deliver, give. But after that, you have got to trust Jesus for a miracle. 
believing that God can do something in your marriage and relationships, your job, your church, your circumstance, whenever the wine is gone. If you'll fill up with good stuff and give what you got, he'll take it from there. So I have this friend. uh, I think about him quite a bit. About eight or nine years ago, um, he and his at that time girlfriend, fiance, came and uh, asked me if I would do their wedding. And I was like, yeah, absolutely, that'd be great. So let's sit down and talk. And so we spent several months getting into the scriptures, talking about the biblical view of marriage, and it was really good. And I stood there with them on their wedding day, just thankful to God, pronouncing blessing over them. And, uh, you know, they were the picture-perfect couple. He was like, he was like a perfectly built dude. Just really tall, dark, and handsome. He was all that. He was all those things. Like Thomas, you know, that kind of guy. Uh, guy was a perfect V. He was just... And beautiful lady he married. Great couple. They get married. It's great. There's all like this like sense of wine, you know? Like, oh, yes. But it wasn't two years into it. The wine started running out. She was traveling a lot for work. He got really busy with his profession, his career, and they just started sort of drifting away from each other. And uh, she ended up uh, having an affair. She committed adultery with a coworker. I remember the morning that he came into our church for our early morning prayer hour, and he pulled me aside, and I knew something wasn't right. First of all, I never saw him at morning prayer. <laughs> Second of all, it's just something. It was obviously something was wrong. He wasn't looking his normal studly self. And he pulled me into the office and he said, Brian, she cheated on me. She went out on me. And he cried and we cried together. I was heartbroken. He apologized to me. I've never had anybody apologize to me. for. He said, I'm sorry. We tried to covenant with you that we were going to do this right and I have not been a good leader to my wife. It's not all her fault. She did what she did, but I've done some things too. I did not love her properly. But he said, I'm committed to stay. I remember thinking, man. And he said, and we're going to fight. We're going to fight this out. We're going to get counseling. We're going to work at it. We're going to see the scriptures. And so, so for the next year, they went through a dark storm, as you can imagine. Just no trust, just a lot of, like, just anguish. But about a year after they had kind of gone through the darkest, stormiest time in the recovery process, they then called me and informed me they were pregnant with twins. (laughs) I thought, oh man, (laughs) wow. (laughs) And uh, we just, we knew that this wasn't just two people toughing it out. They had experienced better wine. We knew it. It wasn't faked. Uh, they were pretending, and, and I remember getting to go there with Shannon and stand there and, 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 and meet their twins and just remember all the pain and hold the babies. You know, Shannon's holding one, I'm holding another. We're looking at them, and like a year before this, there was so much hurt, so much pain, and, and we just thought, God, how are they going to make it through the night? How are they going to make it in life? What, what's going to happen to this couple that the wine ran out and disaster hit, and, and you know, I, I follow them just to 
you know, social media, you're able to see what people are doing. And, uh, you know, they've, they've carried on. They've celebrated their twin's fifth birthday. They bought a house together. They're moving forward in life. But not without some cost. But they have tasted the better wine. I just wonder if you're maybe at a place in any life experience where you're just like, I just feel like quitting. And my marriage and this relationships that I'm in and this church, you know, maybe you're saying that. My job, my circumstance, I just want to quit. I just want to run away and never come back because the wine barrel is empty. I don't like it here. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I wonder if the Lord wouldn't be calling some people this morning. Just asking you, Simply, maybe the Lord would say this to you. Commit to stay and watch me work. Stick it out. I know that it's not everything you dreamed of. I know it's not the wine that you were drinking. But let me have a chance at this. Let Jesus in. And we want to, as a community, stand with you at times where things just aren't going well. We want to commit to stand with you until the better wine comes and to believe with you that better wine can come. How many believe that it can get better? And then it'll be different, but it'll be better. It's not going to be worse, I, I promise you that, and it's not going to be more of the same. The last thing we need is more of the same. Just a new barrel, same old stinking wine. We need new wine, better wine, Jesus wine. And we are committed then to standing with you in your job, in your relationships, in your relationship with us as a church, in the things that you find yourself in currently that are really difficult in your parenting process. We are committed to stand with you if you will let us into your journey until it gets better. And then we will dance with you. We will celebrate the better wine that's coming. I want to conclude by asking us to do something that makes people uncomfortable in church, but church is supposed to be a happy place and an uncomfortable place at the same time. But if you came this morning and you're just like, you know, I know, my wine barrel in this particular area is pretty much empty. And I feel like quitting. My job, my relationships, life, just joy is not there for me. I'm going to ask you to do a courageous thing, and that, that is to admit to Jesus and to us that it's me. I need prayer. I need to, to let, we, we're not going to ask you for specifics right now. We're just going to ask you to admit the wine barrel is empty. And then we're going to invite Jesus. We're going to tell Jesus about it. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. This is not the joy that I was hoping for. We're going to tell Jesus about it. And then we just want to pray over you. We just want to say, Jesus, do a miracle. Jesus, take water, make wine. Do something great. So if you're here this morning and you say, you know, that's me. I need prayer in this particular area, and it could be anything, any area of your life. But you know, you know, 
Like, like you're not having to guess right now if that's you. If you're having to decide whether that's you, it's not. The people that need prayer, you know it's you. Stop trying to act like it ain't. Stand up right now. We want to pray for you. Get around the people who are standing. Nobody stands alone. We don't stand alone here at this church. If you need prayer um, because your wine barrel is running on empty and you're wanting to quit this thing called life, we just want to pray right now. Father, represented in this room are any variety of circumstances that have caused some form of emptiness, disillusionment, and pain. Father, some of these standing, this is a relationship, a vital relationship that the joy is not in anymore. That there's emptiness, there's sadness, there's frustration. This is not what they expected in this relationship. Father, into relationships right now, friendships, parent-child relationships, marriages, dating relationships, whatever the relationship or, or nature of relationship, God, we pray right now. We come to you, O oh Father, with the emptiness, with the urgency. We've run out of wine, Lord. Father, turn. Turn water into wine. Father, fill people with the best things that they can fill themselves with. And then add wine to it. Make it good, better. I pray for relationships to have a complete turnaround that what was even good in the past would be trumped by what's better in the future days to come. I pray for better marriages and better parent-child relationships and better uh, interpersonal relationships with coworkers and a family and friendships. God, I pray for better, not just more of the same. Better, more, sweeter, different, kingdom, into relationships. Oh, Father, for those who are vocationally, situationally, circumstantially, just so sad and empty and joyless and wineless and the, the, there's bitterness where there used to be sweetness, there's emptiness where there used to be some sense of fulfillment. Father, only you can deal with that. But help us to be wise and not quitters. I, I pray against this quitting spirit, this let's just move on spirit, this, this desire to just try to go find it somewhere else with someone else doing something else Father, I pray that where we stand right now, where our lives at, where we live, where we work, who we're with, who we're married to, who we're in relationship with, where we go to church, that God, you would make those places turn into wine, that the wine would flow. So give us the kind of resilience and hope that says joy can come. God will move. Things don't have to be this way. We believe for a miracle. I'm believing this morning for miracles, Lord, in bodies, in relationships, in work, in circumstances, that, Father, this, this place of emptiness, this place of void would be full of water right now. Let us do what we can. Fill with water and then submit it to you and try to even 
give out to others, and I pray wine would come. Wine would come. Wine would flow. Celebration would happen that we would be a joyous people who taste and drink of the better wine. So Father, at whatever stage in the journey we find ourselves in, maybe right now we haven't even committed to stay. God, I pray for people who are committed to stay in faithful presence in whatever situation is represented here. Maybe we haven't honestly told you about it and here we are standing saying before God and my brothers and sisters, I'm admitting there is a place in my life where the wine has run out. And then we ask you, God, what do you want us to do? And now, Father, I pray for the wisdom to start bringing in good. The best we can, the water we can bring in, good water into our vessels. Bring in the people, bring in the materials, bring in the ideas, bring in the resources, bring in those things which would fill us up to the brim. And I pray we would work hard at this. That we would be like those servants that that decided, I'm going to fill myself to the brim. This is not going to be some weak sauce attempt. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it in God. I'm going to fill my mind with songs of deliverance. I'm going to fill my heart and my brain with good people and good words and good ideas, vocational ideas and people ideas and friendships and things that stimulate and, and, and open up my heart and mind to more and beauty and water. I pray water would begin to fill vessels that we would fill ourselves with water. And then, God, I pray that, wa- that wine would come that wine would come, that we would be the kind of faith-filled people that are willing to serve out of the water we put in and just believing that somewhere between me and the people that I'm trying, the situation I'm trying to see wine in, that a miracle will happen. Before it touches their lips, before it touches anyone's lips, that wine would come from this, from us. Make us believers, Lord, for this is the first sign in which you showed your glory. And God, I pray that this would create a party at our church. Create celebration. You're the Lord of the festival. But we usually come to festivals when we have something to celebrate. Give us a lot of things to celebrate, oh God. Show us how to dance together, how to, how to drink deeply together, how to eat good food and, and, and rejoice over good events, to rejoice over wine. That those who observe what have happened may not even know the miracle that we've come to see, but they would be able to say, you know, things seem better. It's as if the best is saved for last. It's like you're experiencing a new chapter of joy. And I pray that that would be said, that we would drink deeply of this cup and that it would be said of you, you have saved the best things for last. In Jesus' name, we pray by faith, believing that celebration times are on their way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so for you, yeah, let's do this ahead of time. Let's just clap and believe, you know. Sometimes you got to like clap and believe before answers come. But for those of you who stood really honestly just going like, I, I'm empty, empty in this area. I, I really need to be full. Um, go for it. Fill yourself up with the good things. What, whatever those good things are, fill yourself up. You may need to go to the prayer wall and just, have someone pray over you. Prayer is a way of filling your vessel. Fill it with water. You know, sometimes I pray for people and it feels like I'm just putting water. And you know, water's good. It's not wine, but it's what we can do. So commit yourself to being the kind of servants that go up to the brim. No more, no more weak sauce attempts. Well, I tried. I, you know, I get really frustrated when people tell me why well, I tried and didn't work. It's like you didn't try nothing that didn't work in God. 
You didn't try. You gave some weak, half-hearted, let's just see if this works. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there's the vessel, fill up to the brim, keep pouring and pouring and pouring. If you can honestly say you filled it up to the brim, then now you're at a place where by faith you say, now I'm just going to try to give some of this stuff to people and see if into the situations that I find myself in, wine would come and leave room for a miracle because that's what we're banking on right now. You'll know when it's wine and you'll know when it's water. You keep pouring in, pouring out, pouring in, pouring out and let Jesus be the center, Amen. Let Jesus do what only he can do. He's a winemaker. He's a joy maker. He's the Lord of the festival, y'all. He's a partying God. He's a happy God. You serve a happy God. He's not discouraged or joyless. He is a happy God. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Happy God, happy people. And God's going to make wine flow. And we're going to eat and drink together the good wine and the good bread.